All right, are we ready to get into, we, do I need to review last week's little bit of uh, dealing with God inventing finite things called time, space, and matter? And energy, because we did not get it recorded last week, I used a microphone that ran out of gas partway through that, and so we want to do a, an extended introduction, of, or extended review, really, this evening. So we talked about the fact that when we find God creating something, uh, time, space, and matter, the question is now, certainly he transcends them. He predates time, all right? He pre-exists matter, and certainly space as well. These are his inventions. These are his creations. And so he transcends them. He, of necessity, by definition, he to create something, you must transcend it. You must be before it. You must be above it. You must be uh, outside of it. And so God's existence prior to time, space, and matter uh, is not negotiable. We don't, we don't even uh, question it. And But we have a lot of theology. We talked about last week. We have a lot of theology that explores what God was in, what was in God's mind prior to Genesis 1-1. Remember, we talked about that. Is there a pre-Genesis book? No. There are a couple of passages that talk about before the foundations of the earth, but they are extraordinarily rare, and their focus is not really upon describing God, but describing the nature of his work toward man. And so we know that there was a God before the creation of the world, otherwise there wouldn't have been a creation. Um, but we don't need to go exploring. And, and once we do that, once we start basing theology upon our conceptualizing of what God is like prior to creation, um, we start getting into trouble. This is where a lot of our bad theology comes from. And, you, and again, like I said last week, there's an extraordinary amount of it that is built upon men trying to conceive of what was in the mind of God before Genesis 1-1. So how did he do it? The mechanics of his decision to create, his, the, the order in which he chose to do that, um, what his, how much of it had he planned out, how much of prehistory had he planned out, uh, and what was involved there. And... Uh, and, and so we start exploring this and we start to build this concept of God. But as soon as we do that outside of the confines of, the, of God's revelation, we start getting into trouble. And this is where so many false doctrines come from. And I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to investigate that. And I don't think we need to. I think God reveals himself through creation to man, and, and it begins in Genesis 1-1. I don't know that we have to go into, well, you know, and so when we talk about, when you hear these words, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, I'm sorry, no, I, I totally messed that up. That's about communion. Sorry, I got the wrong words. Uh, now I can't think of the ones I really want to think of. They'll come to me. We talked about them last week. 
that, you know, what order did God plan everything in eternity past? And they're big, long theological words that we talk about. Sublapsarianism, there we go. Superlapsarianism. Lapsar- what is your lapsarian view? Well, um, I had a lapse there, that's why I couldn't remember it. Sorry about that. Uh, I don't know if I'm sorry about not remembering or the pun. But uh, we have these lapsarian views that are trying to imagine, project into the mind of God how he did things and what he was, how he performed those functions prior to creation. And then we derive all this theology from it. And it's a dangerous process when we get involved in that. And it has produced all this error. And so God planned everything. Well, if God planned everything before he did anything, then he is necessarily responsible for everything. He's responsible for every murder, for every evil act. He is responsible for everything because he planned it all before. Uh, And so when we talk about this, this isn't just, uh, oh, pastors going on about something. This is a huge impact upon theology. If we just say, well, we're going to begin studying God where God tells us to begin studying him, and that is in Genesis 1-1, with the beginning of the created order. This is where we begin to, to understand and know God. And in fact, I would contend this is the only place that we can really know God, because it's the only place we have ever experienced. Everything else is outside of the realm of our experience. We talked about how do you function in a world without space? You can't even conceive of it. Well, God could. I'm, you know, He created it. So there was a time where there wasn't space. There wasn't matter. There wasn't time. There wasn't light. There was, and it wasn't dark. Well, no, if it's not light, it has to be dark. Only in our created world does that, is, is that make sense to us. And so when we think about these things, we cannot relate to God outside of the parameters that He put into creation. And it's foolishness for us to go outside of it, and all we end up is, is full of conjecture. Having said that now, do we, want, do we don't want to be guilty of limiting God to our experience. We're not defining God by us. And so when we come to these passages, we want to be cautious the other way. And of course, everyone is going to accuse me of going the other direction. You're making God in man's image. And that you are limiting God to man's experience. And first of all, um, I have zero impact on God in in terms of defining who he is. Uh, And I don't want to diminish the idea that God is all these things. Um, We we do not doubt his pre-existence. We do not doubt his existence outside of his created order. Um, The question is, is does he possess those or do they possess him? You know, there's all these attributes of God that we link in terms of being related to time, space, and matter. Um, does he control those or do they control him? Does he have to be outside of time all the time? Or can he humble or can he regulate himself and, and even limit himself to time, space, and matter? And that's really the statement. And remember, we use the example of the fact that as soon as God gives his word, he now has just added to his list of things he cannot do. Why? Because he will not break his word. And so as soon as he gives his word, as soon as God gives a promise, now we have something holding in our hand that says, well, God is relied upon to limit himself 
from this point forward to this word. And that word could be a promise or uh, of blessing, or it could be a promise of, of judgment, as we're going to see. Uh, and so God's going to keep his word. His word is durable. It is, it is trustworthy. And so God will limit himself. And so God has limited himself in many, many, many ways throughout creation or throughout time uh, with every promise he gives. That's a limitation on God. But it's not the promise that limits God. It's God who limited himself to give you the promise. He subjects himself to that promise. And so God doesn't give, those, give his word lightly. We tend to do that, but God doesn't do that. Um, society used to care about a man's word. Right? A man's word was his honor. Now you can't trust anything what anyone says. Um, it used to be that when a man says, I give you my word, that meant something. And now even when they sign documents saying that they're promising this, it doesn't mean anything. Their signature doesn't mean anything anymore either. Um, we think it does in a court of law, but we see that you just need more money to get out of that. And so we find that um, God's word matters, and he doesn't give it lightly. But once he gives it, it means something. It, it, it is a self-limitation on God. So in the, creative, in the course of creation, I don't think we apply that to the fact that God spoke creation into existence. Now, this morning's message, this wasn't even from last week. This is from this morning, so it couldn't have been from last week. In the psalm that we studied this morning, what do we learn about the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord is pure. It has been refined as silver is refined seven times. It's purer than that. It is valuable. It's dependable. The word of the Lord. Now, when we come to the creation narrative, why didn't God snap his finger? Why didn't God just blink? Why didn't God nod? Why did God speak? We call it ex nihilo, out of, his, out of nothing. He spoke everything in existence, but, but he did it by, by inspiration, by, by expiring, by voice. Was that necessary? No, it wasn't. But there's something substantial about God giving his word. When God expresses his word, his word becomes a promise. And it would, now we know from this point on, God will be like this. We can trust and we can work that um, in our relationship with God. We can understand it. And I believe that when we come to the Genesis account, we go into the creation of time, space, and matter, and, and light, and all these other things, and, and uh, even of man himself, that God, by doing it by his word, is communicating to us a self-limitation. He is giving us his word. And so we have an expectation that God will work within time, linear time. We're going to be starting that a little bit this evening. Uh, and really, we don't get any farther than that in the chapter you have uh, here, uh, that he will work within space. And um, even though God is a spirit, uh, we're going to see him functioning within matter. And certainly once the incarnation happens, we have God intimately connected permanently with material body. And so Jesus Christ is a material self. And so we're going to see how God is going to um, function there. We're going to have to deal with things like um, feeding the 5,000. How did he do that? Uh, did he just create fish? 
Well, he could have done that without having fish to start with. You ever think about that? Why did he need any fish or bread to start with? Um, God doesn't. He can, he can certainly has mastery over the created world, but his promise was, what was his word? I've rested. I've rested from all my creative work. So he's not going to create more, but he will, he can uh, deal with what there is. Okay, and we talked about the conservation of matter and energy and that there isn't more that we transfer those. We talked a little bit about that. Um, but this principle that God's word equals a uh, self-limitation, that God is really giving, anytime he gives us his word about anything, his promise, uh, it is pure, it is reliable, it is, uh, but it is him choosing to self-regulate, to humble himself, to limit himself to um, whatever his word entails. And so when God creates the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them, well, that's how he functions with us, even into eternity future. We don't find eternity future um, an existence outside of the physical realm, do we? We are going to heaven, that's a place. It's described for us, right? There's a city called New Jerusalem. There's a, a stream there we're going to eat. We've got to eat from the produce of the trees of, of life that are on the rivers of life. We, are, we have dwelling places. We have all this description. We have a new heaven and a new earth that's described because the old heaven and old earth have melted away. They haven't vanished. They're basically put in the God's crucible, melted down and made new. He's not going to... And so we find that the, these are the principles we're going to see followed through on by God uh, in terms of time, space, and matter. And they're incredibly important to us. And uh, so as we talk about the discovery of God, we discover them in creation, and we think, well, that's how we know God, but that's also something it, it informs us about what God has done for us. This is an exercise of His of his um, grace toward us in creation, even that, predate, that predates sin. So we don't think, oh, we didn't need it. Yes, um, God granted men um, and all of his created order his attention on this premise. And so do we believe God is eternal? Yes. And does that mean he transcends time? Well, he had to have transcended time when he created it. But in his creation of it, he now subjects himself to time, not that time controls him, but that he has limited himself to work within linear time. Similarly with matter, similarly with space. And so um, that is the premise that is being put forward uh, that we discussed last week a little more extensively. So we come now to, and I want to start transitioning into Time, uh, that's our first one, in the beginning, there was a beginning. God has no beginning, right? So God was there before the beginning, however you want to describe that. But he was certainly there in the beginning, because so he started it. And the question now is, what is God's relationship to time? Uh, and what does it mean that he uh, is eternal? 
And again, we talk about Christ as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we, it doesn't really talk about Christ as the pre-beginning and the post-end, that somehow God is outside of time, but rather we are describing him within the context of time. Now you might come to this and say, well, the reason he does that is because of our limited capacity to understand him outside of that. But if that were true, if we did not have the capacity to think of a God that exists outside of time, why is there so many philosophical ideations out there of things happening outside of time? How, where do they come from? If we are incapable of conceiving of those things, that God, well, then why do they show up in our fiction? Why do they show up in philosophy? Why do they show up in, in theology? Why are we thinking about God before time if we're not capable of that? And so it's not that God gives these things because we're not capable of thinking of a being outside of time. We've just been discussing it. So the designation, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, is, is not a statement that says, you know, you can't understand something, a, a creature, out, or not a creature, a being outside of time. Uh, so I'm only going to talk within what you can understand. We go on and on about messing with time. It's one of the favorite things in fiction, seems like these days. So the idea that somehow we can't think in those terms, is, and that's why God uses only those terms, is, is just not true. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. And so we can conceive of that. It wasn't just because we're simpletons, um, but rather God has said, here's how I will relate to you from the beginning and, and all the way through to the end, from Alpha to Omega, uh, beginning and I'm the Lord and I'll be there with you. This is how you will know me. And once he declares that, now I trust him that he will function according to his word. All right, and that is really this, what is at issue. That's the stake that we have that um, we're dealing with. So let's go to a, a, um, a psalm, Psalm 90. Let's go to Psalm 90. This is getting to this time. So this is, uh, that was a very, very brief summary of last week's 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that. Psalm chapter 90. And this is uh, a psalm that is uh, of Moses. It's a prayer of Moses, so this, this is not a Davidic psalm. Uh, so this is an old psalm, one of the oldest psalms in the book of Psalms. Not the oldest, but one of the older ones. Prayer of Moses, man of God. And so let's read it together here. Uh, follow along. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction, say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like asleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and it grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. 
The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. So anyone that's um, over 70 years, you know what sorrow and pain it is to be old. All right? For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Oh, so satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So this psalm has a lot to do with God, man, and time, doesn't it? Almost pretty much the entire psalm deals with this one issue. Well, what do we establish first of all? That God predates creation. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. Before there was any created thing, you were. Uh, We don't doubt that. We don't question that. Before you ever formed any part of the earth or the world, um, you are God. And in terms of our relationship to you, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. There's never been a generation of man in which God wasn't God. In all our generation, from the beginning of man, back in Adam, all the way through the entirety of the human race, um, God's not going anywhere, and there isn't a time when he just gives up being God and wants to do something else, and he's going to hand it off to someone else called Jesus. Jesus does it for a little while, hands off the Spirit. and you know That's modalism, by the way, that God just comes in different modes over time. No, he is everlasting to everlasting, so we look to the past and we see him, we look to the future and we see him. He is always there. And compare that to man, where a man lives 60 years, 70 or 70 years. 70 years is what you've been promised. That's what you, your life expectancy should be, about 70 years. So once you pass that 70-year thing, all the rest is gravy, but there's a problem with the gravy, and that is that it's going bad because it's old. It's not been refrigerated. And so um, everything past that, he says, if you somehow go past 70 and get into your 80s, and even now he's 100, what's it all about? Well, it's about sorrow. It's pain. It's labor. It's hard work. Just living is hard work. Just being alive. Um, and so whenever you go to Elizabeth, you know, my, my family's all like, oh. I said, well, it's hard work just for her to be alive at 97, you know, and it's painful, and it's like, why am I still here, and why do I have to live this long, and when it says, I didn't know it would hurt this much, well, God's word said it would hurt, once you get over 70, well, I'm not 70 yet, so, and it's already starting to hurt, <laughs> it's all right, but again, I, I don't know that, you know, again, what does it say, it was, uh, how do you get older, um, by reason of strength. If you're just a strong person, you outlive your 70s, get into your 80s, uh, what can you brag about? Well, I, I'm sore and it's hard work just to be alive. In fact, we use this kind of term, we talk about labored breathing, just breathing and functioning and using the toilet, just as all of it's just hard work. Okay? And so that's misery. So why do we want to live so long? I don't know. 
shouldn't want to live past 70 much, but if God, by reason of strength, you live into your 80s. Uh, I love how Jacob described his years to Pharaoh. When Pharaoh says, how old are you exactly? He says, miserable and few have been the days of my life, 120. You know, was it 120, 110, something like that. So, but that whole description of, that, by that point, he was, he was miserable, he was sore. He's like, and this really isn't that long. Compared to God, my lifespan isn't very significant. It's a drop in the bucket. And that takes us back into the psalm that tells us that to God, a thousand years is like a day, and even less than a day. The only text talks about a thousand years in God's view is the same as a watch in the night. That's just an eight-hour period, a third of a night. One watch in the night is a thousand years, and God can... In God's perspective of it, when you're when you have an eternal condition that predates time, time itself becomes pretty. Even when you put yourself in the limitations of it, is just uh, not extraordinary. We'll put it like that. For God's perspective, He looks at time differently than we do. And which is really important when we get to concepts of like patience and long suffering. And that long part is over time. And so God has a different concept of time frame because his existence has been before time and, and will continue for all of time. And so he has a much broader concept of it. Our concept of time is a few decades, that's our lifespan. And the shorter your lifespan, the more important every moment should be, right? So if you're a, uh, what is, what was, I remember way back, uh, this is an old stat, so it's probably changed now. I remember they talked about the average lifespan of a black male in South Central LA was 26 years old. That was the expected lifespan. Well, if that's all longer you think you're going to live is to 26, um, boy, you want to not waste any time of that. Um, that's a third, almost a third of what you expect from God's word. It means a lot of people are dying in their teens. And so um, the brevity of life is what this Moses is talking about. From our perspective on time, we see a very, very, very small slice of time. And then we think, oh, well, our country has been a country for what, almost 250 years, something like that? 1776. 1900, yeah. Are we coming up on 250 years? Yeah, so 250 years coming up in, in 26, right? So let's say 250 years about. We say, oh, wow, we've been a, well, big deal. That's not even that very long, is it? You haven't even gotten to an eight hour watch on God's calendar. God's concept of time, a thousand years, is like an eight hour watch, Moses says. It, to him, it's not substantial. Um, because of his everlasting, everlasting personage. So we might come to this passage and conclude, aha, you see right here, this is all God's eternality, and so your premise falls apart. But there's a little glitch here. And the glitch is, how long? Moses asks a question of God, how long? That's all. There's only two words in the sentence. 
how long? I know there's more in the verse. Return, O Lord, how long? Um, and the question is, what are you waiting for, Lord? He's really asking the question, what are you waiting for? How long? And this is a kind of an important question because it's a temporal question. How long, O Lord? You know, how, how long till you return? Uh, I know that you're great and, and eternal and from everlasting and everlasting. I'm not questioning that, but, um, and that we're finite, much more finite than you are, and that your concept of time is different than ours, but you are still bound by time. So I'm asking a question, how long till you return? How much longer do you tolerate our wickedness, the evil? And that's why he talks about evil. How you got to return because evil, I mean, Moses was talking about how evil people were. Okay, we saw the psalmist this morning talking about how long do we have to put up with this? How long? God is waiting. And this is a concept that means that God is doing things in a temporal sequence that he confines himself to. And so it is not that, well, God has already come, we just haven't gotten there yet. Okay, that's those people that say God is trans time, and so he is in every time right now. And, and you've heard me talk about my friend that says, I'm praying for Paul, the apostle, because he asks us to pray for him. You imagine using up your prayer time to pray for Paul the Apostle because he pray, asked in three of his, four of his letters, pray for me that, that utterance may be given me for the gospel, um, pray for me. You know, he wrote that to the, to the different churches in his time. So this gentleman who is smarter than me, um, more higher IQ than me, um, is praying for people out in another time. And his statement is, well, God is still there. So future prayers God can use to help past people. Because in his concept, God is every trans time. So God is in all times, all the time. Okay? So God is right now, uh, is currently creating the heavens and the earth, creating Adam and creating the new heavens and the new earth in the future, God is at all those places right now, doing all those things right now. Um, but we, and so the answer to this statement, how long? Well, God could say, well, I've already done it. You just don't, you haven't gotten there yet. That's never God's answer. Because God's answer is the same for you as it is for himself. And again, we can go to that question. This is one of the first times we really encounter with Moses chronologically. Uh, how long, ask the question, how long before you return? And the question is asked again in Revelation, uh, where the martyrs under the throne of God in, in Revelation 6 ask the same question. And the statement is, um, after the fifth seal, it's after the fifth seal, it says, how long, O Lord, verse 10, I'm sorry, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those that dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So they had to wait. Um, and the and the state the response to how long is well not yet. 
And it wasn't, God, God didn't give them a time period. He didn't give them how many years, months, hours. He said, until this event occurs. Now, does that mean God can't do that? He can do that, and he has done it. Specifically in the book of Daniel, we have one example where God says, this is going to happen. Here's when it's going to happen. He says there's going to be this period of time, and this is the prophecy of the 70 weeks, so 490 years. And, and uh, at this juncture, at, at 69 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, um, and that refers to the death of Christ. Why is that significant? Uh, again, we're going to be looking at prophecy a little bit different, and, and I might need to shift this chapter around a little bit. I might have to deal with the prophecy section earlier on to, to give more clarity here to this portion. So when we talk about God waiting, God waited till the right time, which means that he is in a condition of... of constraining his work to a particular time. And that, that is immensely important. Um, our confidence in God's faithfulness and in God's immutability is built upon the fact that he won't decide to do something different in the past. And we're going to get to that here shortly. Uh, that, and, and so we have him in this constant mode of being ever present in every time period. Now, why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because we're going to get to some passages that talk about God being grieved that he had done something. So, first of all, we have God waiting. He waits, and, and he says, how long? And he's, so he's, he's, his work, engaging man, is within the context of time. He has a timetable. Did he plan the entire timetable prior to creating everything? What are we not going to do? We're not going to go before Genesis 1-1. But from, when God, at some non-time, decided to start a beginning and invent time, space, and matter and put man here on the earth with the sun, moon, and stars in, in the firmament and, and this wonderful place called earth and, and creatures and plants and all of the wonder of his created order, um, and now he functions in that which he created. And again, as we talked about last week, that is not a rarity. The question now is, does God have full knowledge of everything that would happen once he crossed this line and said, I'm making a beginning? When he crossed that line and made that beginning, was everything determined from that point on, or was God simply going to say and, and progressively go through time with us, with his creation? And the evidence from Scripture speaks very loudly of the fact that God is with us in time. He is waiting. Many times he talks about the fact that, you know, he's just waiting for people to repent. He's waiting for people to respond to him. And we call that long-suffering. It is his patience with us. Well, that means God has to wait for something. If he's currently experiencing this and that, um, he's not really waiting. I know that's hard to grasp a little bit philosophically, but um, he experiences the pleasure of it all at once and to 
talk about God in, in a sense of waiting um, is foolishness if he is outside of time. And that's the other way people describe it. God is ah time. That is outside of time and time doesn't apply to him. Um, but if he's applied it to himself, then he functions within time. And therefore, God doesn't, isn't across all time all the time. He is moving through time with his created order and functioning in that. Now, when we come to prophetic statements like Daniel, we're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks, three weeks probably, because next week we won't have something in the service, so two weeks, uh, we're not even going to get to it, I don't think, and then maybe three weeks from now. Um, when we talk about prophecy, I don't see prophecy as God planning the future or see, reporting on what the future is because he's already there. That's a very um, common concept. People think, well, God already knows everything that's going to happen. Uh, and I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. And so we find that rather we find God interacting with creation but he comes on to the prophets. When we look at the prophets, what do they declare? God's going to do something. He has planned to intervene and interact in human history. And wherever he plans that, he communicates it to us. And those are very precious and important times. But to say that he is, he is informing us of that because he's already done it or is doing it now in the future uh, and is just reporting it back to us, um, is erroneous. Uh, it is not how the Bible communicates that. We're going to see several examples of that in a couple of weeks. If you read this chapter, you already know those examples, and, and there's lots more that I could have shared. Um, I really pulled out just a few. So is God waiting? Yes. The other question is, um, can God change the past then? If he transcends time in the sense not that he created it, but that he currently can move across time with complete liberty um, because he hasn't self-controlled himself. He hasn't self-limited to time. Therefore, he can transcend time and he can move about freely in time uh, and, not, and he hasn't kept his word, doesn't, hadn't given his word that he wouldn't do that. Then... Uh, can we have confidence that he won't change his mind? And the question is, uh, and, and we have multiple times when God says, I'm sorry I did this. Okay, What do you do when you're sorry you've done something? I would, well, you can't undo it because you can't travel time, but if you could travel through time and you're sorry you did something, what would you do? I would say, I'm going to go back and not do that. And we have a huge genre of literature, not just movies, but literature, real, real literature, that talks about that. The fact is, is that when we come to these passages, it says God was sorry he did something. It communicates something to us, that God is kind of stuck with what he did. God's stuck with what he has accomplished. It would be a simple thing for God in Genesis to say, oh, I'm so sorry I created man. Let's just back up and do it differently. Let's create man differently somehow so he's immune to Satan 
or maybe not even create Satan. Right? God could change the past. He was sorry that he made Saul king, but he couldn't undo it because he couldn't go back in the past and do it. Not because time limits God, but because God placed himself under the constraints of time within his created order. I don't even want to talk about his existence outside of the created order because we don't have any revelation about that. But within created order, that is within his relationship with man from the beginning to the end, um, he has constrained himself to time. And he won't go back and do, have a do-over. Right? I mean, what if he decides, you know, those people weren't really grateful for me sending my son. Let's just go back and not send my son. Now your salvation is in trouble. But we have a confidence, a trustworthiness in God because he functions in linear time. It is important part of our trustworthiness of him that we can trust him because he will not undo his word. Because if he can traverse through time and do whatever he wants, when he regrets something, and he says, I'm sorry I made man, when he's, when he, when he, when he's sorry he made Saul king, when he's sorry, there's a couple other things he was sorry for in the scripture, when it describes those times, the question is, well, why didn't you just go back and undo it? I would have, in a heartbeat, if I had the capacity to do that. But if I put that limitation on myself and wouldn't do it, because I promise, I gave my word, then I can't. And so that is the premise that we are going forward in, is that God doesn't change the past. His answer is solution to things going awry in his creation is not to undo his creation, it is to go move forward. How are we going to move forward with this? Well, I'm going to destroy them all. But then he looks around, and that's another whole, we're getting to that chapter. Why didn't he know that Noah was a good guy until he looked around a little bit? He oh, it says, he already declared, I'm going to destroy the whole earth and every living thing on it. And then he says, oh, wait, there's Noah. And he was perfect before God. He's walking righteousness says, okay, well, I, I, I'm going to preserve Noah. And so God reacted. Instead of going back and saying, why did I do this to myself? Um, he is going to move forward with the, with the uh, this is bad terminology used, with a hand he dealt himself. He's going to play it. He's not going to just, oh, misdeal, let's redeal this. Do it again. He's going to play the hand he dealt. This is who God is. And it's wonderful. We're not diminishing God. We're making God more trustworthy by understanding that he is moving through linear time and he's committed to doing that with us. Now, I, I made a statement in, in the chapter about if God is perpetually in the past with an existence that transcends time, so he is trans-time, and all, and, and all time, that's the other position, he's all time, he's in all times all the time. And so if he's in that condition, that means he is perpetually doing things that he knows will bring chaos and evil, not only to us, but to himself. 
He'll be doing himself injury over and over and over again perpetually. That even before he began the first time, if he transcended time because he created man in time, and that's important, right? he created man at a time. Did he have a design intent before he created? Yes, the Bible says that he, and the evidence is from the Hebrew words used that he was making an earth for these creatures that were going to bear his image on them to his own glory. And so, but he created man in time, and we have a real-time discussion between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, right? We have a real-time discussion. On what day did they have this discussion? How old's the earth? What day? Come on. The sixth day. We have a discussion, right? No. We have a discussion between the, the God, among the Godhead, we have a discussion, let us make man in our image. Okay. We get to peer into the mind of God in real time. And so on the sixth day, they have this discussion. Does that sound like God isn't engaged in linear time? They didn't say, you know, we talked about this before. Now it's time to do it. No, they had a real-time discussion within the Godhead. Let us make man our own image. Could they have made that discussion prior to that and we're just getting it recorded there? Possibly, but that's not how God revealed it to us. Let us make man in our own image. And so we find that. Now, we're gonna, we're, we're, we are going to, trust me, we are going to get to the passage that says before the foundation of earth and from the foundation of earth. There's two passages we're going to get to, and we're going to address those passages and what they're communicating to us. And certainly this psalm from Moses tells us that God was before everything, from everlasting to everlasting. So the principles are set before there was even a beginning, certainly. That's as much as we need to know. Everything else we find about God is we find him moving through time with his creation. And in fact, in the, in the arena of prophecy, we're going to see a fascinating couple of chapters that explain it in, in, in Isaiah uh, 44 and 45. We're going to be studying those. And we're going to see how God tells us how he works and what these futuristic prophecies entail. Um, but we see by these two things, God waiting. Why does God wait? Why would he ever be described that way if he wants to communicate to us that he is trans time, awe time, all time? Take your pick. Why would he ever describe himself as waiting? We wait on him, but he also waits for us. He is long-suffering toward us, right? That's waiting. And then he waits for the end. He, has, he hasn't brought the end of the church age because the last martyr hasn't been martyred. It's, and so that kind of leaves it an open end. People say, well, when is the end of the age? And Jesus Christ says, I don't know the day or the hour. Only the Father does, right? So the Father knows something. But the Son says, uh, the day and the hour, uh, we don't know, but uh, we're waiting for an event, really. Even in Revelation, we're, how long, Lord, till you judge the earth? And it's like, 
Well, I'm not going to give you the date and time, but I can tell you the event and time, and the event and time is the last martyr, whoever that is. And so we want to start challenging some of our conceptions of eternal God. Can he know the future? And does he know the future? Does he, does he determine the future are two very different questions, right? Knowing the future and determining the future and making it happen, um, these are on different scales of thought, and, but we certainly have these truths in Scripture that God is traveling through time with us, that he is not uh, going in the past, he's not working in the past right now, as he is in the, in the present. Um, has he been in the past? Yes. Will he be there in the future? Yes. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. But we have, in our relationship and his work with us, uh, in terms of creation, uh, we see him temporally located. Okay, We can say when he is. He is today. He is traveling with us through this day. Um, is a day a very long time to him? No. Because he was there before there were any days. So a thousand years isn't very much to him because he created it. He existed before there was time. And we don't even, that's even hard to grasp. And so, um, it is his created thing, and so all of the principles applied there um, that are functioning, he functions within them uh, in all of his relations with us. And we're going to see how that works with prophecy in a few weeks. Okay, Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, we uh, certainly don't want to ever diminish that in our mind or our heart. But we also thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, that you are immutable. You don't change your mind and change your word and change your actions. We know that you certainly have the capacity to do that, but you have chosen not to. And we thank you for that. And thus we can also rely upon you throughout time to uh, work in our midst your uh, desire and your um, promises that they are sure because you will endure through time and that no man no work of ours can undo you though we may bring judgment upon us we do not cannot destroy you we cannot eliminate you uh, for you will endure for this we thank you Lord. we also rejoice that uh you are with us today and that you are focused in your work in our lives this hour. That these moments matter. That we spend our time with you even as you choose to spend your time with us in this reality as the only reality. The past being gone the future yet to come. And for this, we look to you for guidance and direction and thank you for your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.